welcoming the spring this week. Welcome to Hand of Pod. It's a beautiful day outside, a uh, beautiful spring evening. I'm allowed to say this because I'm English, so it actually is beautiful for me. Um, here with two Argentines who are distinctly unimpressed with the weather. Um, Hand of Pod is adding a new barrio of Buenos Aires to, to our collection. We're recording for the very first time in Almagro. Are you sure? I think it's Cavacito. Andres lives there. We had the discussion, discussion earlier, and he told me, isn't it Boedo or Cavacito? And I gave him uh, the, the, the the proof that I am in Almagro because the in the uh, Gobierno de Buenos Aires Buenos Aires well, government uh, up, yeah. website uh, clearly says the streets. It's Almagro. Yes. Okay. It's Almagro. Yes. Uh, it's Almagro. Yeah. <laughs> There we go. These, these uh, boundaries sometimes change from decade to decade, so historically it might well not be. How, how far away are we from the, the church that San Lorenzo was founded, sort of in? Uh, I would say 10 blocks, yeah. maybe less. So it's, okay, it's Almagro, kind of Boedo, Caballito. Uh, you've already heard the, the voices of both Argentines that I'm joined with. This, I was thinking on the way over, this might be the first time on Hand of Pod that we've actually had more Argentines than Englishmen. Maybe we should do it in Spanish. What do you think? I don't think our listeners <laughs> would, would thank us for doing that. Um, we can have a go, perhaps for a future episode, if we want to diversify. It's twice as much editing for me, though, if we record two episodes a week. Um, I'm joined, of course, by San Lorenzo fan, Mariano. Hello. And by my fellow River Plate fan, Andres. Hello. Uh, whose living room we're recording in. Thank you very much for volunteering it, Andres. Uh, the reason that we're recording on a Wednesday night is that we were desperate to try and get somebody who's not a River fan on, because we're going to discuss, first of all, the Super Classico. Um, and whilst it's tricky to, to find uh, Boca fans who are well educated enough to speak English, um, we, we didn't want it to just be me and Andres bemoaning River's defeat. So let's get straight on with that. River did indeed lose. Um, one nil to Boca Juniors. Manuel Emanuel Gigliotti scored the only goal of the game about halfway through the first half. Andres, first of all, uh, what did you make of it as a river fan? Well, uh, I think that uh, talking about specifically about the, the game, the the the, the, the match, uh, it, I think it has been said uh, already that uh, Boca counts on on Emanuel Gigliotti, the one who scored the the, the only goal. Uh, that they have a, a, a Boca has a, a, a natural striker, number nine striker, as usually we say, that uh, stays in the box and and, and uh, shoots the ball into the net. Yeah. Uh, 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 River, who that which counts on on on, on Teo Gutierrez, uh, uh, couldn't uh, wasn't able to uh, specifically stay in the box and and try to. Uh, uh, well, uh, great danger. Yes, right. uh, he, he uh, didn't really try. He, he was. He was more. He spent most of the match playing as a winger. It was infuriating. Right. I think that was uh, something that Ramon Diaz told him to do. I, I, yeah, because he's not going to do that. Uh, his own decision, he, right? He, he was signed by River 
in the, the winter transfer window, the summer, for those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, um, to be the man who, who's going to be Rivers' line-leading number nine, the Gigliotti uh, for Boca, but in, in Rivers' team. And he's doing exactly the opposite. He keeps dropping off. He keeps whipping in, OK, good crosses, but the crosses he's meant to be on the end yeah. of. <laughs> um, and and there's, nobody, there's nobody in there. He's, I mean, this is a guy who's scored a goal every other game for Racing, for pretty much every other club he's played for in his career. I think he played about three matches for Lanus and scored twice. Yeah, um, probably what the hell's he doing? He's now got two goals in eight matches, nine matches for River. I, I think that Ramon Diaz tried to look too smart mm. and in the end he didn't. Uh, probably he wanted to surprise uh, Boca, making him join uh, Manuel Lanzini, uh, but uh, it didn't work. Uh, like you said, they were sending crosses to nobody. <laughs> yeah, and, and the reason that we've, we're mentioning this straight from the off really is that that is ultimately what cost River the game um, River had and this is part of the reason we wanted a non-River fan on uh, because it's very easy for myself and Andres I'm sure we both agree to say that River had the better of the play um, but Mariano as a, relatively speaking as a neutral w- would you agree? Right. Yeah I think that whatever the result the final score was we would say that it was kind of fair you know mm-hmm. because Boca won why Boca won? Well they were very intelligent they in the second half they played good defense even if River had a twice hit the post the post twice but they I think Boca played an intelligent game if it had been a draw we would be saying that was fair because River had enough chances and the same if River had won one year so it was kind of a strange match um, but yeah I think the reason that River lost was that Teo Gutierrez didn't have the chance to finish uh, to finish one of those scoring positions that River had didn't give himself the chance to finish he he didn't have the chance I don't know if uh, it was his fault or Ramon Diaz's fault but he he didn't have the chance to finish one of those chances and and Emanuel Gigliotti was able to do it on the other side of the pitch and field and that's the reason Boca won just that if instead of I don't know uh, who had the long shot was Poncio that hit the Instead of, of Poncio, or maybe even if Andrada, if it had been Teo Gutierrez, then probably River uh, would have scored a goal. Uh, the long shot you're referring to is the one that I think Sosa might have just tipped it onto the post. I'm not sure. I was up in the stands. Yeah, but there, there was also given a, a, goal kick a up header by Rodrigo Mora. Mora came, the, came in yeah, too late. Definitely hit the post. Yes, yes. And he, he, he came in too late. He probably should have started. He has a history with Boca, right? He scored. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few goals against Boca he probably should have started instead of Andrada I don't understand why Andrada started and what's up with Fabro? where is Fabro? is he injured or Andres you have to fail that one uh, that's, that's another problem uh, and something uh, apart from Mora who came in uh, too late well uh, we all wonder what uh, what's going on with uh, Jonathan Fabro, who, who asked not to go with Paraguay to play the two matches left for... Oh, really? Uh, yes. Of course, they're already eliminated, aren't yeah. they? So it's not right. gonna... Yes, in order to to be a bit physically better, in a, in a better form, uh, that's something he does, perhaps also in order to for the fans to be more like, well, uh, stand a bit more uh, his possibilities to play and... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, take, take into account that Manuel Ancini wasn't... Uh, uh, in his best best uh, matches, uh, that could have been a, a, a good possibility to to uh, at least to well uh, pass the ball to Teo Gutierrez 
standing in the box and, and let's see what happens at least. Uh, well, that's something which didn't occur, so now we, we are uh, all talking with the Monday newspaper, as we usually say. Mm. Um, Fabra, of course, we, we mentioned a month ago after the last World Cup doubleheader that uh, Jonathan Fabra has contracted a personal fitness trainer to try and get himself up to speed with the Argentine league. I mean, what on earth is going on with this fitness? It's, I'm so proud of It's not as if no player has ever moved from Paraguay to Argentina before yeah, they've been able to do no, it. No, but he probably uh, didn't practice much during the winter, yeah. summer <laughs> window, transfer window, because he was expected to move to River, and yeah, that's costing him. I mean, he's over 30 already. He's not that young. And <clears throat> I'm very proud of my preseason prediction, saying that he was going to be one of the worst signings. And yeah, I was right about that. I mean, he, the first of all, River fans don't like him much because he has this past with Boca, right? He even made fun of River when they got relegated on Twitter. And well, okay, and yeah, the truth is that he will need time to readapt to national football. He's a 30 plus. All year old playmaker that barely played a few years well at the Paraguayan league. So, yeah, it's it's not the same to play for Guarani or Cerro Porteño to play for, for Rio. Yeah, and I was very surprised that he wasn't even on the bench last weekend, or uh, I don't know if he was on the yes, bench. Yes, he was. Ah, oh, he was on the bench. And he didn't even come in, and they were losing. 31 okay. years old. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he's not in his uprising moment of his career. <laughs> I mean, Only Carbonero and, and Joe Gutierrez uh, uh, started the match uh, for River. Uh, of the, all the players that came uh, came to the, to the team uh, during the, the transfer deadline. Yeah, they were the only went to signings to actually yes. start the Super. Um, another point is that it, it's a very young River team. I mean, Marcelo Barrovero, who's the goalkeeper, the goalkeepers are often... The, the oldest, or among the oldest players, but Barrovero actually was one of River's oldest players in the starting lineup. He's only 29. Um, you think that they're that young, really? I mean, relatively speaking, I mean, Mercado is not that young. No, no, sure, I know they're not. Maidana, I know that, but it's not as if this is a team with a lot of 30 plus year olds. No, no, it's not news. News Fabro, is like the oldest team. Fabro, for instance, if he he actually managed to get up to to some kind of physical speed with the league, could be a you know. One of the, the experienced heads, he, he could yes. offer some leadership to the rest of them. Um, just just the amount of experience that he has. Yeah, let's say that, uh, except except for Teo Gutierrez, the other two attacking players were Andrada and Melanzini. Exactly. And Teo Gutierrez is not a man you're going to look towards for leadership. Right. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I don't think it's that young. It's not a team that young, but. Uh, Actually, it's, it, the game wasn't much different from the way River has been playing no. in the whole tournament. I mean, they were lucky in a couple of games. They were lucky a week ago to win against Lanús. Yes. They were very lucky. Uh, they played a few good games. The second half against Tigre, maybe, but... A, a very, very pure, pure Tigre, let's say that. Yeah. Also, Kanya, I think that, that was the last Kanya... Uh, yes, that's when Kanya resigned, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, it wasn't that much of a surprise. Like I said, whatever the result was, the final score was, yes. we, would, we would be saying that it was a fair fair result. Precisely. It's kind of frustrating for River fans, Andres, I would assume that, that you feel the same, that really the team are just, it's up front is the problem. I mean, defence, 
Not really a problem. River have lost, what, three matches, I think, this season, and none of them have been by more than a goal. But they've all been very, very close, even the away games. And, and this is a season, as we've mentioned a few times in the last few weeks, um, which has been marked by basically everybody in the league who aren't Newells or San Lorenzo finding it very difficult in away matches. Um, but even then, River haven't really, there's not been very much in their away games. They've just lost 1-0, or, or 2-1 on one occasion, but 1-0 the other uh, three times that they lost. They've got four defeats in total. Um, their problem is, is, is scoring. Yeah. But they've well, got the joint second best defence in the league, I think, or joint third best defence in the league. They've only considered six in ten games, but they've scored eight. Three of those were in the second half against Tigre. And uh, yes, uh, the strikers, we have, we, we have, have talked uh, recently about that. Uh, Theo Gires, the one who must uh, score the goals and, and, and finish the place, isn't in the box. At least it, he wasn't in the most important match, River against Boca. And uh, 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 I, I think that the other problem that River has is when uh, they lose the ball and they have to defend uh, uh, right when they were attacking and they have yeah. to defend uh, quickly. And uh, that's something that's for me it's another problem that uh, the team has, the uh, whole team. Well, you don't have players that know how to do that because Ledesma is not a fast player. And Mariel Rojas is not that good in defense, and same for Carbonero. So basically, it's just the back line trying to hold the team's counterattacks. And that was one of the things, especially, that, that, that cost River on, on Sunday because the previous week they'd had a, a well, I, I guess a three man midfield. I, I guess you could say Flint with Lanzini in front. Um, the, the midfield in the previous week had been um, Poncio. Ferreira and uh, somebody else. No, it wasn't Carbonero. No, it wasn't Carbonero. And then and they changed all three of them uh, for the Super Classico. They kind of took the, I guess, a gamble really for Ramon Diaz uh, playing yeah, a, a, a notably, a notably more attacking. The team against uh, Lanús. Uh, you said you mean who uh, the, who were, was playing against Lanús and who was playing against Boca? Yeah, yeah those, right. those three. Vida, I think he was playing. Yeah. Those those three central midfielders in yes, the high. Yes, yes. Of course he was. Yes, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Um, so much more defensive um, midfield than than played against Boca. I guess Lanús. I mean, I, I know that Mariana, you, you, you said they were perhaps lucky, but they had a decent amount of chances. That was a game that could have gone either way. I think the draw would probably have been the fair. Yeah, but uh, I think Lanús um, played better in the second half. Mm. Uh, yeah, definitely. They were, they were, at least it was a draw. Yeah. At best for, for River, it was a draw. No? They won it with a set piece in the final minute because yeah. the Singh couldn't hold the ball. And, and the, the feeling well, I have is that River can play draw or lose every match they, they play. Mm. Uh, it's like uh, the result they, they get is, 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 uh, is not certain. It's like, well, they, they win, they can win against Lanús 1 0 when the match is yeah. ending. With the, the Mercado goal, then they can lose and they can't uh, uh, turn uh, turn over the or turn around the, the, the score, or they can draw uh, and and it will be okay. It's like you you don't see a team uh, that has an, an identity. Uh, no, and it all comes from from this lack of goals up front. And of course, their chances to win the championship are gone because they yeah. are nine points behind Newell's with nine around the left, and they are like. Six, seven teams. But and, then, and the next match this weekend. And the next match is at News. Uh, there is a match uh, which is again uh, Arsenal against San Lorenzo, which may seem not yeah. that important, but for me, will decide the one who will fight against News. 
Well, it's second against third. They're both tied on 20 points at the moment, three yeah. behind you. Yes. So we'll get on to that a little later. Right. But yeah, you're, you're quite right. Um, we've talked a lot about River and their problems. We should, I suppose, give some airspace to what Boca did well. Um, because it's undeniable. It's all very well River fans saying that, oh, River were the better team and, and, and Boca barely had any chances and all the rest of it. Boca scored, I think, maybe one of the their two clear-cut chances scored one, hit the post very early in the second half with one, mm-hmm. and then for the rest of the second half did almost nothing. Um, but Carlos Bianchi coming under enormous pressure for the whole first half of the year, some even Boca fans starting to question whether he, he should have been brought back in. And now, now that he's been given a little bit more time, which it has to be said a lot of Boca managers might not have had, yeah, about him, suddenly Boca starting to look like Boca again. It's the first time in 39 matches that they've managed back-to-back wins. Yeah, but the, the, for me, the difference is very clear. He had a healthy Fernando Gago in midfield. I mean, he's a player that makes a difference in this league. So if you have him healthy and you have Riquelme on his side, then they make a difference. It's impossible not to play better with those two players in the team, right? So you're not too convinced that it is Bianchi working his yeah, magic? Maybe, against. maybe, yeah, of course. He's the manager. He must have some responsibility if they are playing better. But for me, it's all about that. The last time Gago and Riquelme didn't play, they lost 3-0 against Olimpo. <laughs> so Crucially, that was also the last time that Agustin Orion didn't play. Of course, um, yeah. And, and in, in goal, uh, he was for many people the man of the match in the Super Classic. Got just gone. He's also going to be away because he's away with the Argentine national team as a reserve right, goalkeeper this exactly. coming weekend. Yeah. Uh, so Gago is injured. Bakayoko at home against is it Rosario Central. Yes. Um, so how that one goes will be interesting. But Central, yeah. and I don't think it will be easy for Boca. Uh, too many okay. injuries and lots of injuries. Yes. Yes. Let me say that the style or the the kind of play that Boca used. Uh, against River this uh, weekend is the historic style of play that Bianchi used to have when in the previous previous uh, uh, phase uh, at Boca when they uh, won uh, Copa Libertadores and everything everything uh, when you knew that if Boca scored the goal it would be very difficult to to to, that they concede the goal and well he said it right we played it like a Copa game he said it at the end of the of the match, and yeah, it was exactly. It was like uh, the old Boca when they went to Brazil or Paraguay or whatever, and they were playing like this. Like they score a goal and then you just hold to it. The difference was that they had probably more quality players to do it before and better defensive players. But the idea is that they score a goal and they shut down the game, and that's it. But for me, one of the I don't know if better. Best players in the in the match, who who uh, I I think it, there is no discussion. It was Burrito Martinez, but uh, uh, Jesus Mendes played like a right defender mm. and like Herbes in the past, and I, he didn't do it very bad. And that's something that's something for me has to do with Bianchi. I don't know why uh, or don't know what he what did he say to Jesus Mendes, but. Uh, it's something clearly for me that has to do with I know he, he might have talked with Mendes and Jesus Mendes we need to clarify is normally a, a midfielder right? yeah, a yes right a number player. 5 yes in the mid yeah. centre midfield yeah midfield. but he's been playing also on the right side of midfield I mean he can play in many positions sure. uh, he's not that uh, he's not for example you can't use Gago on the uh, like uh, as a right defender but you can use Mendes and he, he covers a lot of functions. 
polyfunctional. Yeah, word, polyfunctional. That, that yeah, wonderful yeah. Spanish word. I didn't know that. Transliterating into English. It's not really English. Exactly. Multifunctional, we'd say. That was the Super Classico. I was, I was there. It was my first Super Classico. The atmosphere, I have to say, was even without the away fans, was absolutely amazing for certainly for you know an hour or so before the match, and then all the way through until about half time. And then Bocke hit the post very early in the second half, as I mentioned, and, and it kept up a little more. And then just as the <laughs> second half dragged on and on, you started to realise, yeah, this just isn't going to go for us. Um, and there was more and more nerves. There, there was one excruciating moment two or three minutes from the end maybe where there was a river where, where on a counter and there was a long ball raking over to, towards Carlos Carbonero who was running in towards the ball uh, in, in towards the penalty box diagonal pass across the pitch to him um, and just as he was about to get to him he slipped over River fans don't like him right? We don't. Well, I don't mind him, but yeah, you're yeah. right. I mean, a lot they of don't have a lot of patience. Certainly, have, have, he, he's disappointed since he moved since he moved to River from Arsenal. But just that slip just sort of seemed to sum up the game for River. It was, it was nothing was quite going well. Sometimes it was bad luck. Sometimes it was it was just their own stupid mistakes. Um, and yeah, enormously frustrating, obviously. Um, but I was I was surprised by the atmosphere. I was expecting it to be slightly damper, given that there were no away fans. And then there's no back and forth. I mean, I've, I've been to a couple of other games, obviously, this season. Um, and, and we've all noticed, I'm sure you've noticed particularly, Mariano, going to most of San Lorenzo's home games, mm-hmm. that it's not quite the same without the away fans. Um, <coughs> no, but the Super no, managed to be... It was special anyway. I, I, I enjoyed myself, apart from the result. Well, it's still a Super Classic one. I, I read that was oversold, right? There were like 70,000. Oversold, I don't know. I think they sold exactly the right number of tickets. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. they, they let more people in. Um, two people got in on my ticket. Uh, the, the, the guy behind me in the queue was allowed in because, according to the security man, uh, who pres- presumably saw my face and assumed I wouldn't understand what he was saying to his colleague, uh, the Barra Brava had, had given the security guy a whisper in the ear to, to tell him to let them in. Um, I met a friend as well, Remy Lehman, um, a Dutch journalist who's, who's come over to Argentina fairly frequently and just moved down here a few weeks ago. He's a member at River who was at the game uh, via the camp here. He, he got his ticket perfectly legally. He was in the same stand as me, but further around. And he said that the turnstile that he went in, they were literally letting three people in for every ticket that got scanned through. Um, they are saying that they are going to probably suspend... Suspend it for the round uh, 12 game, I think, against Belgrano, the next River home game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there's Politica in Riva, which is one of the main uh, River political, as the name suggests, uh, Twitter's. Um, Twitter uh, accounts was mm. saying that the reports were suggesting that there were 70,000 people in right. the Monumental yeah, and the official crazy. capacity for this game the, the amount of the stadium that the, the authorities actually opened up and said yep this is safe to play uh, was 61,000 well let's say also that um, this year there are elections in River and it's like a big war between Passarella and all the other candidates so Passarella supposedly yes. has, has decided to take two weeks to decide whether he's actually going to run. Right, exactly. But there were plenty of Passarella posters and Passarella Presidente yeah, 2013. Um, yeah, and, so. and there's some, some book that was released this week about his life, <laughs> but not the good side of it. <laughs> and yeah. So, yeah, it's that been Complete like it's, yeah, it's like a, like a war in River right now, in politics. I think he was expecting a, a, a different result for the, the match, the River Boca. Uh, match and he left and 10 minutes early didn't he uh, we didn't see this from the stand of course but uh, I read afterwards yes I, I think that if, if River had a different result on Sunday now he would be like more 
the chest uh, with the <laughs> high, high chest. Totally uh, yeah. Yes, and, and he had, had to leave the stadium ten or five minutes ago uh, uh, before the match ended. One uh, thing that we didn't mention last week was that Passarella um, has has renewed Ramon Diaz's contract. He's extended it to 2015. Mm-hmm. So regardless of who the next president is, uh, Diaz is, is contracted to the club until then. When yeah, the next president actually keeps, we know we know that doesn't mean anything here in Argentine football. No. I mean, so Diaz's contract was renewed ten days before he was fired. So <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. It was clearly a political move, and yeah, that's uh, yes, that's it. Uh, this is it. They lose three, four games in a row or five games in a row. Uh, nobody cares about that contract. No. And uh, Mariano has already hinted at, at, at my next choice for matches because we're going to move on from the Super Classico now and talk about the rest of the the week. There were quite a few talking points. And one of them was the only other Primera match that took place on Sunday. Um, River Plate fans losing the Super Classico. Always going to be sad, but we could at least console ourselves with the knowledge that however bad your team are doing, there's always a team in the league uh, who are doing worse. And this season, that team is always <laughs> Racing Club, um, who managed to lose only 1-0 and only to a penalty from Atletico Rafaela. Um, but when I looked at the stats afterwards, I saw that Racing had had, I think, one shot on target and Rafaela had had something like 12. Their, um, best, their best chance of the game was in the final minute. I didn't see any of the games. No, you didn't see it. Their best chance was in the final minute. It was... Some shots. Racing or Racing, Racing, of course. Rassing. Yeah, it was some Gabriel Lauche. He touched the ball in a small box, but it wasn't really that dangerous. And for the rest of the game, it was unbelievable. I mean, I, I've seen bad teams in this league. I've seen bad Racing teams. They've been in crisis <laughs> many times before. Many times. Oh, I've only been watching Argentine football since well for about the last ten years, and I've seen many, many, many awful Racing teams. Yes, so, yeah. yes, but this one is. Unbelievable! It's like they don't have any attitude. They, they With ten matches in, Racing currently have two points. Two points. Don't even have to look at the league table. And three right. goals scored, I think. And if you add yeah. the Copa Sudamericana games, they lost ten yeah. out of twelve games. No, no, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, the 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 really big talking point of this is that Racing and remember, uh, dear listeners, we've had ten matches of the league season, and as Mariano says. Racing have also played two Copa Sudamericana matches, both of which they have lost. So this coming weekend, Racing will be playing their 13th match of the season, and they will be playing it under their fourth different manager, uh, because they of course had Luis Subaldia for the first four rounds domestically, who was then fired and was replaced by, is it Fernando or Fabio? Fabio Radaeli, um, the reserve team manager, who was just a caretaker until Carlos Ischia came in the following weekend. Ischia has lost all five of the matches oh, he's no, taken. He got one point. Oh, he did? Yeah, yeah I guess right, that's, that's my thought, but I saw Ole mention that he lost he, all, all of them. He lost four um, out of five. He's lost four out of five and drawn the other one of his matches, and now he's been fired, and the uh, his replacement, again as a caretaker manager according to the board, yeah. uh, is Nacho Gonzalez, a former legendary, former Racing goalkeeper from about 1993 or 92 until 1999. Yeah, and current goalkeeping coach he's been moved up to, to caretaker manager the board are saying he's the caretaker uh, Gonzalez has said well if after my caretaking spell is over they decide to, to put anybody else in charge of the first team action I'm, I'm not going back to the goalkeeping role <laughs> yes. this is what I've been preparing for since I retired as a player is to be manager and that's what I'm going to do afterwards um, so it's all it, He's not even managed a training session yet. And he's already arguing with the board about his role. Yeah, and remember that 
River, uh, Racing's president and first vice president also resigned a week ago. So as we mentioned on last week, right, yeah. right. So it's the second vice president that's now in charge. He doesn't want to call for new elections because, okay, that would be like there's no one in charge for some time. He doesn't even want to be Racing's president. Does he? I don't think. Right. I'm he, not sure. He, on he, the day he took charge, he said, "I wasn't prepared for this. I've got a lot of other of commitments. He was, I'd rather not he, be doing it." Yeah, he was. He was the second vice president. Uh, he was. Uh, always it was the other two guys that were in charge of everything speaking with the press the whole time and no no it's crazy this situation and they have a few options to replace Ischia and the first one was uh, someone your listeners probably know really well with Ardiles O.C. Ardiles indeed who many many of our listeners particularly in England will be more than familiar with um, his uh, most recent spell in Argentina was manager of Huracan in about 2008 9 yeah I think so it's like he has a good uh, how do you say it? he has good manners good manners uh, yeah. he's a good uh, it's like very polite and very like uh, essentially I, and I hope I don't offend either of you two in saying this mm-hmm. there's probably a reason that Ozzy has preferred to remain living in London since he moved <laughs> no, there but I think it's rather than coming back to Argentina no, he said many times he feels more at home there and, and, uh, and but, so but I'm sure that if Russian had called him he, he would be here yeah. working with him we uh, need to clarify of course that before Ozzy moved to Tottenham in 1978 uh, he was he was a, a Racing player yeah, he was and, and then Right. And then on to Spurs. Right, I'm sure he would love to manage Racing again. He already did, and he did well. And I think he left after there were some presidential elections yeah. at the club. Okay, doesn't matter. But now the main choice is Mostaza Merlo. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and the current manager of Douglas Haig, who were a club that very, I think he's still the current no, manager. No, 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 no. He, he was a former manager. He left Haig. about a month ago. Oh, did he? Or oh, he was? Or he, he was fired because the results were not good. Then uh, he signed for Aldo Civi, another cool, right, national yeah. B team. Yeah, right. and, but he left after two days because he said that one of, he has a sick or ill sister and he couldn't stay. I and think what actually happened is that he realised how fucking windy Mardel Plata is outside <laughs> of the summer yeah. season. And, and, uh, right, exactly. And, and now that Racing wants him, he said, OK, I can be coaching, I can be at the bench next Sunday and the Aldo Civi president is really mad because... Okay, he lied to us. He was going to sign a contract, but okay, whatever. And players, I, I heard recently that players were complaining that Iskia's uh, practices, methods, were kind of old, and they're going <laughs> to hire. They're going to hire Mostaza Merlo. Yeah, I heard it, that. This just goes back to very long-term listeners will remember yeah. Australian Dan and will remember that he always used to say that Argentine clubs just have this obsession with constantly bringing in the guys who were really good back in the 90s and very early 2000s who are now too old to be managers. I mean, we've got Bianchi and we've got Ramon Diaz even at River now and although, yeah. as, I, as I was mentioning, why, why do you look Merlo? Yes, the, 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 because Blanco said that the, the, the coach, one of the... Blanco is the new president. Yes, Blanco is the new, well, the new president, uh, the new Racing Club president said that the coach had to be 35 to 50 years old, and that's something you you first have to see the, 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 the profile, perhaps, not the, the age or something like that. Mm. Uh, yes, because, uh, well, in that case, Murtaza Merlo wouldn't be able to... And neither Diles or Merlo are... 
uh, younger than 50 years, so, no. <laughs> so it doesn't make sense. So we will uh, we will come back to the Racing when they've uh, when they've named their new. Uh, First, uh, first team manager. Um, we will be obviously back next week to discuss their pitiful capitulation at the hands of whoever it is they're playing this coming weekend because <laughs> they're going to lose. La Plata. Of course, Estudiantes in the away match. I mean, that's not going to be a, a racing win, is it? Um, but they're not the only team this weekend to lose their managers. Um, Colón de Santa Fe lost 1 0 at home to Arsenal de Sarandí. Uh, it was a deserved Arsenal victory, I thought. Um, and after the match, for the second time in a week, your, your Mariano shaking his, his head. I'm not sure they deserve it. Um, okay. We'll ask him about it in a minute. But after the match, for the second time in a week, uh, Ruben Forestello offered his resignation in the dressing room, and this time it was accepted by the board. Um, why do you not feel that Arsenal deserved the oh, no. I mean, I don't like... Colón had their chances. Yeah, of course. I, I don't like Colón at all. I mean, they lost five games in a row and without even scoring a goal, so... Uh, he's not living because of this game, but I think they were pretty decent in this match. And uh, certainly improved. Yeah, they, they. But I thought on the balance that Arsenal also, was up to win. Yeah, and also Arsenal rested some players. Yeah, uh, they were not using the, their best team. So uh, Arsenal, of course, beat all boys in the middle of last week after we recorded, but before the podcast went online. Um, on penalties in the Copa Argentina semi-final, which is why they were they were resting some of their players in, right. at the weekend. And. And yeah, he left. Um, I think there are two managers that might leave also after this week. <laughs> so yeah. the list will get even bigger. I think that Kilmes. Which, which two managers? Do you uh, Kilmes and Olimpo managers. So, I right, think. Nelson Vivas says there were rumours that he was going to stand down after the, the 2 0 defeat at home to Newell's Old Boys um, on Saturday because, of course, Losing to Newell's is, is a shameful thing to do this season in Argentine football. Yeah, the problem is that they have like they are not playing well at all. I think they lost like six of the last five games, and they scored only five goals this season, of which three were in the game against San Lorenzo, which was a, like a miracle, you know. Yeah, three two. Victory. And the other two goals, the other two goals they have were an own goal against Tigre and a free kick against Godoy Cruz, Miguel Caneo free kick. So it's not like the, he, he deserves to stay, uh, I think. It's kind of a shame because it's his first job in management and it's a... Yeah, well... Okay, it, it's not as if he's been thrown in to, to one of the really newly promoted clubs like Central or Olimpo who are doing fairly terribly. But at the same time, Quilmes have got a reasonable amount of pressure. They need to follow up last season's decent showing if they're going to stay up for another too year. Many, too, too many important players left. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Cauterucho yeah, was gone, and goalkeeper Tripodi was gone, and they have other missings in, in defence and attack, I think. Yeah. I, I don't, have, don't remember now, but yeah, it's like he's managing a new team. It's not the same Kilmes as last year. And your other predicted managerial departure this weekend was? And the second one is Olimpo. I think Perazzo... Right, I want to ask you, because the last time I mentioned Perazzo, uh, I think we were recording with Joel and another English person, I can't remember exactly, it might have been Joel and Dan, or Joel, Joel and, and the other Dan, um, but I mentioned that if, if Seba Garcia was still here, he would be laying into Perazzo, because he hates Perazzo. Perazzo, let's not forget, is the man who, when Argentina had won two consecutive under-20 World Cups, managed to fail to get them to qualify for the one that they were going to defend, um, with the team just playing absolutely bloody awfully in the Sudamericano Sub-20 um, as Argentines what do you two think of Walter Perazzo? Oh, personally uh, I can't speak bad about Perazzo because he's a San Lorenzo legend I'm okay. not sure if you know that 
I was uh, not aware of that. Okay. I'm only aware of it through Seba's ranting. She was, was one of our best strikers in the 80s, uh, in a period where San Lorenzo didn't have many good players, didn't have a stadium, didn't have anything, and he was one of our best players in that era. So He's, he's Colombian, right? I mean, he's Irish. He was time, born in Colombia, Colombia, yeah, because his father, I think, was also a player. Right. Uh, but he's a San Lorenzo legend. Uh, I mean, I can't speak bad about him. Yeah, he didn't good, did a good job as an under-20 World Cup uh, coach, uh, under-20 team coach, but he did a pretty good job with Olimpo. I mean, last season... He yeah, brought them back to first division and they were playing pretty solid, but they don't have enough to play in, in Primera División. No. And, and Press, do you have an opinion on him? No, I don't have a, a, a very good opinion about him. He also played for Boca, let's say. But just about Boca, they, uh, it's incredible how uh, the victory of, uh, against Boca, 3-0 victory in Bahia Blanca, didn't put them in another situation. I think yeah, I, they didn't seem to gain confidence from that. Yes, the, you, the, the, the results have continued since then to be draws at home and defeats away, basically. They probably should have a few more points. Yeah. I think they were not ah, like rushing bad. No, they, <laughs> they, they definitely had a, a fair few games away from home where they've lost, say, by one goal, and you think, oh, they maybe deserve to draw and they've there. Been quite and they've as I say, literally at home, they won the Bok again and they've drawn all of their other home matches, yes, and yes, they've yes, lost yes. every single one of their We away. were lucky this last weekend. They got a very late equaliser against Estudiantes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Estudiantes deserve to win this one. Scored by Matias Saronito. Another yeah, former Estudiantes player. <laughs> the law of the X. The law of the X, um, right. Estudiantes defender. Right. And we, Sorry, we, we, it was not the only uh, law of the X. Uh, Diego Lagos, ex-Lanus player, mm-hmm. scored for Rosario Central. So, of course, yeah. So it was also a law of the X goal. Uh, yeah, I think they've been a little unlucky, but... Well, they need to start winning games. I mean, probably the problem is not Perazzo, but they will try to change something because if they don't change something and start winning games, they will be relegated by the middle of the final <laughs> tournament. So I think they're he will basically be relegated by the middle of the initial already. I mean, they've got to. If yes, they yes, wins. yes. They need to make 45, 50 points, and I think they have how many? Nine now. Yeah, so it's so almost cool. like impossible. And another coach in danger. I'm not going to say he will. Resign after the week, but the seven were points on path. Right, Karen, seven. Okay. And uh, the other coach in danger, he didn't resign, but there were rumors about it. It's Falcioni. There were some rumors that he resigned. Some at of Mendoza, these, res- some of these are because he's been linked a couple of times this season now with the racing job. Right. And some of them are just because all boys aren't doing very well. All boys, um, their fitness is a real worry, right? It's, it's got to be because yeah. if you look at the. It, if matches ended at half time, I've got to thank Ed Malliam for bringing my attention to this, but I've since been following it since he, he pointed out to me about a month or so ago, since when I've been following it after every match, and it's still the case. If matches ended at half time, do you know where all boys would be in the table right now? They'd be third in the table. As it is, they're. Let's just check. They're very much not third, they're 16th. Um, they're conceding. So many goals at halftime, and and I I tweeted at halftime of the Godoy Cruz game. It was nil nil at halftime, um, and of course they all boys have played in uh, yeah, well, semi final in, uh, in midweek. So they've done a lot of travelling in midweek. But I tweeted at halftime, given all boys' record in second halves of matches now, Godoy Cruz are going to have they've got to fancy their chances, and it was a big relegation clash. Mm-hmm. 
got I Cruz by winning it hard the difference between themselves and All Boys because All Boys started the game six points clear of, of God I Cruz um, and in fact also by winning it God I Cruz moved out of the relegation zone themselves and dropped Argentinos into it um, and in the second half God yeah. I Cruz scored twice one of which was with yeah. a, a couple of minutes to go like you said it was expected All Boys fitness levels clearly are right. all over the place and they, so they have their, their best striker is injured now Mauro Matos yes he's out for another has been two out weeks at least last two games the, yes yes so, yeah, I don't think he will resign soon, but this week I think they play at home against Colón, and it's kind of a must-win game for them. He, in a way, has had an impossible job, though, right? Because it's been like David Moyes at Old Trafford. I mean, you, how do you follow up Alex Ferguson? And as we all know, Pepe Romero was the Ferguson of Florescent. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, this was the nickname he was given by the Argentine press. I think he was also mentioned for, for Racing, I think, yeah. Romero could be, that uh, he yeah. was mentioned. Well, yeah. I don't think he touched him in the past hole, but he was <laughs> definitely mentioned. Um, other results, let's now run through the rest after we've talked about the managers in danger the rest of the weekend. Uh, there was the first game of the weekend, which I was at. It was Argentinos Juniors 1, Belgrano 3. The really bizarre thing with that is that it's Belgrano's first away win in 10 or 11 matches, 10 or 11 away matches, I should say. Um, and their previous away win can anybody tell me what it was no it was a 3-1 win at Argentinos Juniors in the 14th round of the Torneo Final um, so there's a bizarre symmetry to that that was a really odd well, game the has been improving a lot they have yes and it's unbelievable they are, they are scoring a lot of goals but the match was just bizarre yeah, because yeah. first of all it should have I mean if you look at all of the statistics and, and you didn't you weren't given the scoreline and you were said right if somebody asked you what do you think the, the score of this game was you'd say it finished all square. I mean, it looked like a draw. Yeah. And yet, Belgrano outscored them. Um, the second was Argentinos' defence, which has been very tight since the first round of, of when they got beaten the 3-1 away to Godoy Cruz, um, conceding three goals in the space of, what, I mean, 20 minutes or so of play, uh, either side of half-time, but, but in terms of the ball actually being in play, about 20 minutes. The second goal especially, just disastrous for Argentinos. And then we had two utterly bizarre red cards. And the second goal, the second goal is a penalty. Yeah. That. Sorry, the second um, Belgrano goal. The second Belgrano goal was a penalty, and I don't think uh, it was like madness after that. The penalty. referee didn't have the best of matches. It's fair to say. Yeah, but I mean, we, we, had, we then had two red cards. What, the first of which was Jorge Velasquez four minutes into the second half, with Belgrano winning at this point uh, 2-1 it was two minutes after they scored the first goal Velasquez got booked for fouling somebody and then from the resultant free kick and I've still not seen a replay of this but from the stands where I was sitting it looked like he hit him on the back or the back of the head and the referee blew up and gave him a second yellow card presumably for handball yes I'm not sure I didn't pay much attention I was watching the game but But I didn't pay attention at that moment I mean quite literally the ball had been in play for a second in between the two yellow cards if that and then later on, Rodrigo Gomez got booked a couple of minutes after that for diving, which he had done. And then, and half what twenty minutes or so after that, he got but booked sec- again for diving. Yeah, but the second it time wasn't, wasn't really it was not a dive. But Gomez showed a, a photo on Twitter, on Twitter saying that showing the, the his leg at, that he was kicked. Yeah. And then well, oh, the replays that are on YouTube clearly show that it's yeah, nothing like a dive. It yeah, was that one. But that one, I think it was a penalty. And the yeah. uh, Belgrano penalty that was also discussed a lot, I think it was a penalty I, I too. It, I think it was, I mean, it's not yeah. that clear that it was a dive. Yeah. I think it was a penalty. No, he was, he was, but it wasn't as, as obvious. The, the irony is, though, that the Belgrano penalty was not as clear cut as, as the one that Gomez right. should have had when he yeah. got his second book. And the uh, Caruso Lombardi show after the game was. 
the Karusama Bari show was during the game unbelievable. Was, was entertaining enough. Was he was absolutely psychopathic enough. He said, the referee should eat shit like we do. We are the referee, eating shit now because of him, and he should eat too. The referee, we should say, was uh, a name that, that frequent listeners who have good memories for official, officials' names will remember. Saul Laverni. Yeah. Um, and what now happens is that Argentinos are appealing to the AFA. I've not heard the results of the appeal today, but I heard last night they were appealing to the yeah, AFA um, to get Gomez's second yellow card and therefore his suspension for the next match um, rescinded. But this, it'll only be, it will be rescinded if Laverni, on viewing the replays, admits that he made a mistake. And Sal Laverni admitting that he's made a mistake happens... No, oh, but besides that, imagine if they take out the, that yellow card, then every team would be asking for well, yeah, <laughs> the same on thing. On this occasion, I think it's happen. fair enough, because it was a ridiculous decision. Just, it was insane. Yes, it was, yes, it was a clear penalty. I mean, the problem is that uh, Carlos Lombardi takes things personally and then and uh, says things that then, that then perhaps uh, he's like hot blooded when he says and then perhaps it's crazy. No, no, okay. I don't want to I don't want to talk too much about Carlos Lombardi now because we actually have a question about it that we'll answer oh, okay, later. Okay, so let's okay, move on. Okay. Uh, we've already mentioned Olimpo's one-one draw with Estudiantes with that late goal for Olimpo. Uh, Newell's old boys continued to just steamroll their fifth match in a row that they've Who won. Also, the fourth match in a row that uh, Maxi Rodriguez has scored in. Um, in one of those matches, he's either scored the opening goal or the winner, yeah. or both, yeah. in the case yeah. of the Racing game. He won't score this weekend because he, he, won. he are, No, he won't score this weekend because no, no. he's the Argentina national yeah, team. Which could prove a big loss, which, mm-hmm. which feeds into my prediction for Newell's versus River, interestingly. Yeah. <laughs> San Lorenzo nil, Tigre nil. Mariano, do you have anything to say about that? Well, it was one of those games where if you can't win it, you better not lose it. Uh, Tigre did very, very well. I mean, yeah. Tigre have been absolutely woeful away from home all season, and they really tightened up and clearly were playing for the draw. But they got what they came for. Yeah, right? it's crazy. San Lorenzo this season, it's like they are taking out the, the best of the teams fighting for relegation. Hmm. It's like they, they played their best games against San Lorenzo. Quilmes played an unbelievable game. They scored three. They have five in the season, and they scored three against San Lorenzo and won three-two. Godoy Cruz. Held to a nil-nil. Now Tigre held to a nil. So it's like San Lorenzo is having problem with uh, some of the relegation teams. Uh, in the first half, San Lorenzo had the ball like I don't know, 80% of the time. It yeah. was really crazy, but there was a 10-man defense behind the ball, and it was impossible to create any good chances. And in the second half, San Lorenzo sent everything in attack. They were defending with two men, and Tigre had their chances, mostly on counterattacks. So in the end, probably if you see only the highlights, you would see that Tigre was no, 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 no. Actually, that Tigre was closer to win it. Yeah, that Tigre was closer to win it because they had more clear chances than San Lorenzo. So in the end, the the draw was not that bad. The problem is that okay, San Lorenzo is playing away against Arsenal this weekend. Uh, with the Copa Argentina distraction, yeah. and they're, they're playing each other twice in four matches. Aren't they? Right. they play on sorry in four days. They play on Sunday, on Saturday. Yes, and they play when? again in is it San Juan? No, in Catamarca. In Catamarca, in the final of the Copa Argentina right. on Wednesday, which of course, like the Copa Argentina, doesn't really matter for very much. The winner of the final qualify for the Copa Libertadores. Exactly. So the Copa Argentina game is more important. So. Could be a very important. I think we're going to see weekend. quite a lot of second guessing on Saturday between the two managers. Yeah, yes. Well, will rest. Will rest. Uh, will rest a few players. Mm. They, uh, it's expected that PC will rest about. We'll make six, seven changes compared to the previous game. So yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it's going to be and I think an, something, it's an important week. Something is similar is expected from Arsenal as well, and uh, next week's Hand of Pod is going to be recorded almost by necessity on uh, Thursday night, so we will be able to review the Copa Argentina final. Yeah, it's a very, very important game. As a San Lorenzo fan, I'm, uh, I really want to win that mm-hmm. cup. I, I've been saying it since the cup was created two years ago that San Lorenzo has to pay attention because you win four, four, five, four or five games and you are in Copa Libertadores plus there's a big money prize and you have like a title. So, yeah, it's very important for both teams. Yeah. But the tournée initial title also lets you go well, into Of course, the... but it's easier. It's hard I mean, to win. <laughs> yeah, of course, but the thing is that Copa Argentina games is only Copa Argentina is only one win away from winning. Who have San Lorenzo played in the Copa? I mean, in the semi-final we had Estudiantes de Buenos Aires. Had a very easy path, and they had yeah, a gimnasia. The Primera side since what the quarterfinal or something. They, they had gimnasia in the quarters. A gimnasia, but gimnasia de, de, uh, de Rios. Rios. Sorry, yes. Yeah, so and before yeah. that it was Deportivo Morón. So from San, San Lorenzo's <laughs> point of view, without wishing to. To right. undervalue their, their copper runs the final. Yeah, but it was They've had relatively easy matches right. in which to, as you say, get a get a copper Libertadores. But place. because Estudiantes, the uh, yeah, uh, eliminated yeah. River, and uh, yeah, it had quite an easy path. In, in fact, San Lorenzo has been using a lot of reserves in those matches mm. and still, okay, won or or played a, a, the penalty shootout. But yeah, it's a very important game. Uh, as a San Lorenzo fan, I care more about that game than Saturday's game. Yeah, um, we've already mentioned the two matches on Sunday, which were River and Boca uh, with the one nil away wins. River Boca and Racing versus Rafaela. We've also already mentioned Arsenal's one nil away win against Colón on Monday. There were four matches on Monday. The first of which, this Colón uh, Arsenal match, which we have already talked about, but I just want to talk about the kickoff time. Half past three on a Monday <laughs> afternoon. The time was Monday was empty. not a, okay. Actually, I've heard since that Monday apparently was a bank holiday in Santa Fe province. But even so, it's not a national bank holiday. And Arsenal always seem to be in these matches. Yeah, the problem was that... Four o'clock on Friday afternoon, four yeah. o'clock on Monday afternoon, 3.30 on a fucking Monday Those afternoon. That, the people that like uh, the conspiracy theories say that they put Arsenal in weird times so there's less people watching so those games. So fewer people notice because there's nobody watches people. Arsenal games anyway. Right. But, but I mean, yeah. why are they even doing them in the first place? Nobody can watch that on television apart from us. Well, apart from me, even less Never mind the fans. Sorry, even less people. It is said that Arsenal carry not there that very much people. So twelve, yes, I think, is yes. the official count. They have twelve members. Yes. <laughs> they came in a in a in a taxi. They yeah, say they rented a taxi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is something that even Santi says, and Santi is is a, an Arsenal fan since he was a kid, and he he agrees with us when he's on here. Um, but anyway, the rest of Monday's matches. Were the only three home wins in this in the weekend after a season that's been very heavily biased towards home sides. Godoy Cruz two out, all boys nil, which we've talked about. Gimnasia came from behind. Um, Maros Sarate scored very early on for for Vélez Sarsfield in about the fourth minute, and then during the first half there was a power cup, mm-hmm. uh, and in the second half Gimnasia came from behind against yeah, ten men to win two one. I didn't see most of it, unfortunately. I was, uh, I was uh, Gimnasia's second half was. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Okay, Vélez was down to 10 men because uh, Sebastián Domínguez has been sent off before halftime. But yeah, Gimnasia ra- just ran over them in the second half. Probably Vélez had played Copa Sudamericana the week before, so maybe they were a little tired. But se- Gimnasia's second half was the best I've seen from them this season. Yeah. Really great. 
and Rosario Central Lanús. Yeah, Central uh, also came from behind, right? Didn't they? I didn't see no, this no, no, at no. all. They, they scored the first goal. Yes. Of course, they, right. And Fra- they Frank O'Neill had scored after which. I heard that this was a magnificent game. I didn't catch yes. a single second of it. So yes. like, you know. Marquisin got sent off. Agustin Marquisin, the Lanús goalkeeper, got sent off after the penalty was awarded for protesting to the referee. Yes, but it didn't make any sense because penalty was a clear handball. We should clarify, sorry, he got he got sent off for a... He, he, he'd already been booked. Yes. And then when the penalty was awarded, he spent so long re- arguing with the referee that he got given a second year. No, that, it was two perfect calls by the referee. The penalty was a very clear penalty and the sent off also because they were protesting like crazy. being an idiot on the referee. Yeah. Referee. yeah. There are some protests that are incredible that I don't understand. Sometimes when there is a foul or, or a clear... Uh, the ball touches clearly on the player, and the, that player uh, shakes his hand like uh, saying that the, the ball touched the other player. Such yes. as, for example, we mentioned on the podcast last week that somebody had been sent off for a two-footed stamp on, on Central uh, number 10, Antonio Medina's, Medina's knee. Uh, for example, I can't remember who, who the player was. I mean, the protest went on forever. And yeah. you think, how on earth could you protest against that? Yeah, well, he almost yeah, broke right. his knee into yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. And, and yet they'll still protest it. They'll, they'll still spend five minutes arguing with the referee, refusing to leave the pitch. I hate that, and also when you when there is a player that asks a yellow card for another player, for a rival player, that's something that right. should be, I know, left behind. But it should um, be punished. Yeah, yeah, and also, I've never seen a referee changing his mind because no, exactly. a, a player yeah. is protesting, so it doesn't make... Any sense. But Rosario Central missed that penalty. He sent it over the bar. Ah, okay. Yeah, and then they score in the second half. Lanús. Which you mentioned, yeah, Lanús through Ismael Blanco, and then a few minutes right. later, as Mariano mentioned earlier, Diego Lagos. Lagos scoring and, club. and then, yes, and then Lagos got the winning goal. Uh, it was a great match because Lanús with 10 men, they were all in attack in the second half, and Rosario Central was playing on counter attacks. Abreu had a few very good. Open chances. Mm. Yeah, it was one of probably Gimnasia and Rosario Central were probably the best games of the weekend. The two that I missed most of. <laughs> um, we're going to go for a second now just to, to refill our glasses. And then we're going to come back. We're going to answer some uh, questions. But just before that, we're going to very, very briefly, because they're not that important, but there are a couple of issues to sort out, preview the uh, two coming double header um, World Cup qualifiers. So do not go away. discuss very briefly is the uh, very briefly because they don't matter all that much um, no one cares about are the two upcoming World Cup qualifiers uh, I know no one cares about them because I was very late in ordering my tickets for Argentina Peru this Friday really? and I've got tickets almost on the halfway line which is superb Lionel Messi is injured of course as is pretty much everybody else in Argentina for this match as a result of which we've got some very peculiar call ups um, for the Peru and the Uruguay matches, they of course affect. They don't affect Peru's chances. Peru pretty much can't qualify, but they affect Uruguay's chances enormously. Um, 
But the, from an Argentine point of view, the most important thing about these upcoming games is the, the call-up of Mauro Icardi, yeah. who I wrote a piece about for ESPN FC back in January. Um, if you have just a Google Sam Kelly, Mauro Icardi, and, and you'll find it very easily. It comes up several times in the first page of Google for some reason. Um, who was doing fantastically for Sampdoria last season, um, who... Various people started worrying, oh, is he going to decide to play for Italy instead, even though he was saying, no, I'm not going to play for Italy, I only want to play for Argentina. Uh, Cesar Prandelli, Italy manager, started saying to him, if you choose to play for us, then you'll definitely get to go to the World Cup. We promise you, whereas for Argentina, obviously, the the depth of talent in attack is somewhat higher than the majority of um, of national teams in the world. Uh for this match, which doesn't matter that much, and which, of course, we already knew before Savella meant, uh, named his list that Lionel Messi wasn't going to be there, um, Savella has decided to call up Icardi. As much as anything... You wait also, isn't it? Of course, yes, <laughs> we've since found out. As much as anything, one suspects that, that Icardi has, has been called up just to get him tied to Argentina. It doesn't necessarily mean he's in the plans for the next World Cup, although you never know, especially if he continues the form he started the season in, uh, for with Inter. Um, but... He said that. Since then, we've had Iguain injured, we've had a couple of other players in mm-hmm. other positions injured, and it opens up a chance. Are we going to see Icardi debuting for Argentina on Friday? Yeah, I think he will play at least. I don't know at if least he will start. Later but on. Yeah, yeah, I think he will play at least a few minutes. And also, it should be said that uh, he was in many interviews this week, and he said that he never meant to play for Italy. He never wanted to play for Italy. He said that while the story was going on. I mean, I. When, when a player says that, it's the same as Higuain with France, you know, when Raymond Domenech threw a massive right, hissy fit right. because he claimed, oh, he's, he was telling us for ages, and no, he wasn't. Since no, he was no. like 17 years old, he always said, oh, I'm not interested in playing yeah, for yeah, Italy. Yeah, Icardi uh, clearly said that he never thought about playing for Italy. He never mm-hmm. thought about doing it. I have to be honest, I never, I never seen him play. Um, I don't follow European leagues much, and especially not the Italian one. I'm so looking forward to seeing him in, in the flesh, because from what I've seen of him on television, he's uh, very good. He's very good number nine. He's, he's a good sort of almost a, a plan B, but similar to Higuain in some ways, perhaps a little. I think that Higuain thought a bit more about uh, the decision to make if if he wanted to play for France or for Argentina. I think. Yes, or perhaps Maradona uh, was a bit uh, lazy and didn't call him up uh, uh, when everyone said he he should call well, him up. And one of the one of the things was that France don't allow dual nationality with Argentina. So Higuain, until he had a Spanish passport via having been to Real Madrid for long enough, wasn't able to play for Argentina because he actually didn't have an Argentine passport. He he was born in France and he decided to keep the passport until he'd gone to Europe and got European citizenship. Because if you have an Argentine passport, you can't come to Europe. Yeah. Y- your value to a club is much less. So for that reason, that's why he didn't make his Argentina debut until like two years ago. Or three and years I think ago. Raymond Dominic, the, the coach, France coach at that moment, uh, was a bit more like bothered, bothered a bit more. Uh, that he, I mean, he was certainly extremely upset. It was it was quite amusing to watch uh, as a neutral. For, yes. Yeah. And uh, I think Icardi, uh, perhaps he deserves a pair of, I think, uh, I know, like Marianne said, a couple of minutes, I think, I think, because you call him up and, well, he, uh, like, it doesn't, he isn't, didn't resign to play for, for oh, Italy. because will make him play so that he can, they secure him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so if he changes his mind, he can't play for Italy. Exactly, no, I mean, 
for me, honestly, I, I, I don't watch Serie A week in, week out, so I've not seen every single one of his appearances or even every single one of his goals. Um, but from what I have seen of Icardi, I would have him in the team ahead of Palacios. Palacios, sorry. Similar to Palacios. Um, but he's not falling that much like Palacios. Well, no, <laughs> Rodrigo Palacio, yeah, and uh, I'd have Icardi ahead of him. I'd have him as, as Iguain's replacement when Iguain's okay. not able to leave the nine. I would have Icardi in. Okay. Um, Icardi is, is what twenty years old, um, so okay, it's, it's pressure to put on him. But in terms of players in that position and of that kind of physique, and you know, you want an alternative to, to the, the little guys. You want somebody that Messi can play off as well. Because Messi and Iguain links up very well. But I think that the Palacio, when he plays for Inter, he plays more in a like a wing in a. Oh, he definitely does. But yeah. however he plays for Inter is almost irrelevant. When he plays for Argentina, he's absolutely rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> that's all that matters for Argentina's World Cup prospects. He, he couldn't demonstrate. Tevez, and we've got a couple of questions yeah. off Tevez. Okay, he's one of the best club club forwards in the world. But for Argentina, has he ever given a decent performance for Argentina? Like many other players in the world, he couldn't uh, demonstrate in the, in the national team that uh, what he does in, in uh, for Inter. Uh, uh, I, I think for Inter, sorry, uh, I, th- I said he plays in the in one uh, side of the pitch and he plays like more like a number nine. Yeah. And for the national team, for Argentine national team, he plays more like a natural position. Sorry, he's a second striker. And yeah. Right. Yes. Right. And and the. Uh, yes, uh, uh, he just can demonstrate what he does for Inter. That's, I think that's. And Tevez uh, was uh, like uh, Platini, like thrown thrown flowers on him. Uh, like he said, well, he's magnificent and uh, Buffon, the, the historic uh, goalkeeper, also talked very good about him. And and but I think it's some, that, that there is something about the group with him that. Well, there definitely is. We've got a question yeah. about yeah. Tevez, um, yes. so we won't go into that just yet. Okay. But very briefly, before we move on to the questions, guys, there's two Argentines. Mm-hmm. Indeed, there's two Argentines who, who watch and tweet about a lot of football. How much attention are you going to be paying to Argentina, Peru, and Argentina, Uruguay? I'm going to be at Argentina, Peru, so I won't have any choice but to pay attention to it. Yeah, so. If I'm at home, I'll probably watch it, but I don't even know what's the kickoff time. Would it, it? It's eight o'clock on Friday. O'clock. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll be at home. Would, would <laughs> your opinion change if Argentina hadn't already qualified? Yeah, I'd probably watch it. Okay. Because yes. of course this is the thing. Argentina have already secured their, yes. their place with, with the most recent uh, qualifying result. Andres. Yes, uh, I, I will probably see it, uh, watch it if I am if I am available and I remember that uh, there is that match and. <laughs> but yes, if, if yeah, the other thing that I should point out is that there are no league games on Friday evening because right. of the international. I, so I'm, I'm definitely more, more interested in Tuesday game against Uruguay because mm. Uruguay will probably Uruguay. need the points. And we yeah. also have the question uh, about Argentina Uruguay coming up in a second. So right. now we're going to move on to our listeners' questions. We've had a, a lot this week, so we're going to try and zip through them fairly quickly because I know that Mariano okay. has got to go relatively early. The first was from email, uh, so I'm going to read it out before I forget. It is from Liam Kelly. He's no relation to me at all. Um, but he asks, he's got two questions. First of all, your thoughts on Independiente versus Union being postponed. This is a story that um, that I basically missed. I, I'd been to a game on Friday night. I was going to the Super Classico on Sunday. I just watched the games on Saturday. I didn't pay any attention at all to any of the news, and I missed it. But well, Mariano, um, and I'm sure Andres as well, but Mariano does know what, what long, long story short, Independiente used to have a Barra Brava uh, before Cantero was the president, and now they have they, two. They still do, of course. Yeah, no, no, now they have two. 
So, Javier Cantero's fight to eliminate them is not really working. Uh, they have two fractions of the Barabrava fighting for power, and it was known since a week before the game that there was going to be some kind of clash between them. I did see them. a couple of headlines. It was 30, 30 or 32 people arrested or something, yeah, and a bunch of them were underage, so they had to be released. And there were some uh, fire guns also. But it was postponed because of that. that was yes, the, yes. The, the, so the our, our thoughts are basically that if that happens... Everybody knew that was going to happen since a week before the game. And I don't know, for some reason they decided to play it uh, that late at 9.30 p.m. Doesn't make sense. If you're going to have a dangerous game, played earlier. It's on Saturday, right? No, Friday. Friday, Friday. Okay. Yeah. Well, they arrested all these people about three, four hours before the game and they decided to suspend it. So <laughs> that's basically it. It's unbelievable. They knew it was going to happen. It almost happened. And instead of, I don't know, moving the match or decided to close it, uh, play it behind closed doors, they waited until the last minute and said... Okay, please, nobody uh, come to the stadium because we are suspending the match. <laughs> That's basically it. But I, I feel that Javier Cantero admitted that he wo he asked uh, the 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 war well, uh, the AFA the security yes security to to play at that time at uh, late in, in the night because if that didn't occur, uh, a few play, a few fans or a few supporters would go into the stadium because of, of <laughs> it was Friday was and uh, yes and and the. Union coach uh, Facundo Saba, of course, complained about that. That they were doing the pre, the, the warming up, and then yeah. they, they were uh, informed at that moment that they wouldn't play. Uh, he, he should have asked the AFA to schedule it for three thirty on Monday afternoon. Yeah. yeah. To play Colón Arsenal at nine thirty on Friday night. So, I'll be that was less maybe than forty hours after Arsenal. Yeah, the easiest uh, way was to play it behind, just be laid behind closed doors, and yeah. that's it. Um, the other question that Liam has is who would be realistic managerial appointments for Racing and Colón if we've not already covered it um, well Racing as we've mentioned Nacho Gonzalez apparently is going to go he's not going to go back to being goalkeeping coach if he doesn't get the permanent job but we've mentioned Mostazo Merlo are there any other mm. would anybody else touch Racing with a, a barge <laughs> pole at the moment well I think that for example they have a, one legendary player that is Gustavo Costas but he was working at different Ecuadorian teams the last few years. Mm. He would love that, but they are not going to call him. And Roberto Sancini, but uh, oh, Sancini was yeah. mentioned. Yes, Sancini, uh, former Colón manager, ironically. Yes. Also. Uh, I, I really can't think of anyone who can change this. This Racing. Anybody who would take the job at Racing at the moment almost doesn't really it, it is not the kind of manager who they want to have the job because they want someone competent who can I think a, a great coach for this moment for us in, would have been uh, Omar De Felipe who, who is now at Independiente of the Grey actually yeah. he, he, would have, he would have been a, a good uh, Colón any ideas I mean Colón have got a bit more leeway they're not a big uh, club they don't have to appoint a big name in, in the no, no, they, they already uh, put, in uh, put Mario Siaqua in charge, the uh, interim That's coach. That's the caretaker again, uh, the uh, second time. Uh, he will stay until the end, yeah, but he will stay until the end of the tournament. They confirmed that he will stay until the end of, of the tournament. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I just said, like I just said, it's a caretaker. The bomber, the bomber of the, yeah, <laughs> Colón. The fireman. Yeah. Uh, Jack Tillman asks, do you think Rodrigo Brania will actually make the World Cup squad? Uh, given Gago's injury problems and Mascherano's habit of picking up cards, uh, I assume that he's saying if, there, if he does make the World Cup squad, then there is a chance that he may actually have to play an important match. And we all remember the handball against Paraguay. I think the only answer's got to be no, right? I mean, uh, Rania has been 
a regular sort of reserve to the reserves under Sabella during the qualifying. He will, he will go to the World Cup. You think? Yeah, it's a Sabella boy. He's one of Sabella's boys. But, he, but he's not going to go to the World Cup as one of these people who is actually expected to get near the pitch. He's going to well, go to the World Cup as... He will probably play if Argentina wins the first two games. Sabella's Garcet. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, or, or Palermo, for example. Well, Palermo got on the pitch. I, I should explain the Garcet reference for right. new listeners. Uh, Ariel Garcet was the player who, the, at the time, he was Colón, and now he's Argentinos uh, centre-back. Oh. Um, <laughs> he left Argentinos. He's in Rafaela now. Of course he is. <laughs> yeah, you're quite right. He's been through Argentinos since then. He was one of the centre-backs sacked by Argentinos, overrun by Caruso Lombardi towards the end of last season, right. um, who Maradona named in the squad because of a dream that he had about celebrating the World Cup when Garcet's face was the only one he could remember. Um... But he didn't get anywhere near the pitch. He was no, just a no. water boy. But I think Braña will be, will go to the World Cup because, like I said, he's a one of Sabella's boys. He's been called always. And but like I said, he will be nowhere near the pitch unless Argentina is already qualified after winning the first two games, like right. it, like it happened in the last World Cup. Well, he might get a cap to say and thank you. Yeah, you know, yes, he might play some minutes, like Martin Palermo did against Greece and score a goal, which yeah. he stole from. From Lionel Messi, but yeah. we won't talk about that. Uh, Phil Kearney, we've got a few questions similar to uh, about Savella's um, uh, team selection. Uh, Phil Kearney asks, How has Leandro Somoza been called up by Savella? I like him, but surely Argentina can do better. For example, Guido Pizarro. At the same time, Miguel Villegas, uh, which might actually be Villegas, because I don't know where you're from, but if you're not Argentine, you almost certainly don't pronounce it. Yeah, he's from California, so it's all probably Villegas. Um, says Mercado who we mentioned earlier, and Somoza, who have been called up. Surely there's more qualified talent in those two positions. What are your thoughts? The first thing I'll say is that regarding Leandro Somoza, um, both of these call-ups, I think, have, have happened, as we mentioned. The original squad, the, the 18 or 20-odd players that Sabella named from Europe, because he always names the European-based players, as all Argentine managers do, uh, before the Argentina-based players, um, was made and then a whole bunch of them got injured so I think some of these including I suspect both of the two that, that Miguel has named um, are call-ups that have, made, have been made purely because yeah, players in those absolutely. positions got injured yes. Yes. and Salvi got injured for instance um, at left back and Mercado is capable of playing centre-back so he can shift somebody else across the yes, left back and also neither, neither of them have been called up to actually get on the pitch a few important things is that River is kind of out of the tournament, uh, like we said earlier, yeah. so it doesn't affect them not to have Mercado. Yeah, Lanús are mid-table this season. Lanús is the same, and also it's like he has a player in that position with Somoza. I mean, he has a player in that position, uh, the call doesn't affect Lanús that much because they lost two games in a row and they don't have any chances to win the championship. And he's been playing regularly. The first game is in Argentina, and the second one is. And he's in been playing very well as well as the other things. Yeah, yeah, he's been, like yeah, yes, yes, yes. He's current I agree. form. I agree. It's not as if Sabella is just picking out the complete. Oh no, of course, of course. Turn it. I think the first, the first player in, in that position was going to be San Lorenzo's Juan Mercier. There, there were rumors that he was going to be called, but San Lorenzo mm -hmm. plays the Copa Argentina final, so that's why he didn't call. So Somoza was like a fourth choice, I think, yeah. behind Macherano. Sure. Uh, and Mercado, of course, as well as the current Ripper Mercado, is a former Estudiantes player. He was a right, member of the Estudiantes right. side that took Barcelona 
very, very, very close in the, the World Cup. Club, <laughs> Cup. Yeah. Miguel's other question is, how do London derbies compare to Buenos Aires Clásicos? Uh, which I'm going to have to refer to you to because I've never been to a London derby. <laughs> Not being from neither, so <laughs> no, neither of these two have either. Um, I don't know. I, I can answer for a Manchester derby, and that is that. Uh, well, actually, when I've been to the Manchester derby, there have been away fans, so it's perhaps not an entirely fair comparison. Uh, the quality of football on show in England is slightly higher, as you would expect, um, but the atmosphere is, although very, very good in a Manchester derby, Old Trafford is still not quite the same as a Super Classico at River Plate, for instance. Uh, which will be at the London Derby? Will be Arsenal, Chelsea, perhaps? Oh, it will be Arsenal, or... Tottenham, Chelsea, Fulham. Yeah. So, yeah, the answer to that, Miguel, is unfortunately we can't really tell you for London, at least, um, because none of us are from London. But anyway, uh, Mike O'Neill has been a very question-happy person this week. He's asked a few. The first is of which is... Is the door for Tevez now completely slammed shut, given that he doesn't get a call even though Argentina are without Messi and Higuain? I hope so. I hope it's completely shut. And the rest of you, hope so? I don't know if I... Ho- I don't hope anything. I think it's uh, something that has to do with the group and and, mm-hmm. and I think that Sergio Batista said something these days that he, he felt... Uh, he was forced to call him in the yes, Copa America. Apart from that, said. yes, they... they By... Like no, then, right? yes. uh, he, he, he said something like it was a politics move, not not exactly Grandona, maybe higher than Grandona, but yeah, well, but, all the government because they know the yes, people love yes. tennis. But these days, Batista said that uh, uh, he called him up and he like felt like he was more important or, or the same level like uh, Messi, and that's something. Well, it, it, Messi ha- must be happy and not be at ease. And, and, and the th- this is the thing in, since Tevez has stopped being called up for the national team Tevez has, has got a lot of uh, people on his side as much in well the English speaking world of course which is where we, we really broadcast on hand pod uh, by virtue of his having played in England for a lot of the time but also in Argentina as well he's very much seen as the, the player of the people yeah it's for the people not me yeah but there are two realities the first is one that I, that I mentioned earlier in the podcast um, which is that he's not really had a good game for Argentina since perhaps the 2006 World Cup almost. I mean, it, it's been a very long time since he really had a, a good full game. He's scored goals for them since then. But, um, and the other is that by all accounts... He played a very good game in the World Cup against Mexico. In remember? 2010? Yes. Yeah, you're quite right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although, uh, although his goal shouldn't, shouldn't have been allowed. The first one, yeah. offside, but still. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but, but by all accounts, he doesn't get on with Messi. No, and this is the main reason that he's not been called up for Argentina. And, and this is the reason that, in fact, Mike's question, uh, I, I don't mean to, to offend you, Mike, but um, it, it's almost a redundant question. Because for as long as Lionel Messi remains Argentina's most important player, which is to say, for as long as Lionel Messi is under the age of, what, 33 or something, because <laughs> he's astonishing, um, Carlos Tevez doesn't stand a chance of getting in the national team. Because that's... Everybody who's, who's anywhere near close to the Argentina coaching staff and to the AFA um, says that the reason that Tevez isn't getting called up is that Messi and him just don't get along. Right. And you've got to keep Lionel Messi happy. Give you a choice between picking Messi for your team and picking Tevez for your team and what are you going to take realistically, regardless of who, who, what team manager you are. Oh, of course. Um, Mike's second question is, surely it's a mistake not to give Claudio Jacob 
uh, who our English um, English listeners might now hear about as Claudio Jakob, um, a run out in these two games. What he you scored, right? He scored a goal last weekend. Did he? Yeah, he scored. Thank you for ruining much of the day for me, <laughs> Mariana, which I have not acquired by illegal means at all. If anyone from the BBC is listening, Shakob, um, by all accounts, is and indeed by what I've seen on on my legally acquired match of the day streams, he raised his <laughs> eyebrow, um, has been very impressive for West Brom so far. But from what I've heard, all of this talk about Shakob um, being called up for Argentina has been basically from the English press. I've not really seen any from the Argentine press at all. I think nine out of ten Argentine football fans don't even know where he is. Yeah. No, yeah. He's yeah. playing for a club abroad that aren't yeah. Barcelona, Madrid, Bayern... Right or Manchester United. Manchester I know, but City or yeah, right. But even so if it doesn't matter. Right? Yeah, but even if it's not one of the big clubs, uh, nobody knows where he is. He's not mentioned at all. So, sorry, I, I know where Shino Peruzzi is because someone asked for Gabriel yeah, Mercado. Right, so we, we have a question mentioning Peruzzi in a second. Yeah. Yes, and Shino Peruzzi is in Catania. As he's playing at for Catania, but. I don't know where is Jacob. I, I admit, Jacob uh, is at West Brom. Ah, uh, West Brom. Ah. <laughs> there you go. You see, <laughs> nobody knows where he's. I told you. Uh, two Argentines have just failed yeah. to, uh, to to. He, to he was at Wigan. No, he's at West Brom. Um, and by all accounts, he's been playing very well. But I mean, in terms of whether he deserves a run out, great alternative to Mascherano. I think they're possibly better, but he has surprised me with how well he's done in England. Um, I'm not sure he's quite ready for an Argentina call up just yet. Tom Robinson says the under-17 World Cup kicks off next week. How are Argentina expected to do? And which players are highly rated? Gentlemen, what do you know about Argentina's uh, under-17 team? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and, uh, Andres has just waved his hand at the microphone. Um, I think it's fair to say that being Argentina, they're probably expected to win it. Argentina in, in youth championships generally are. Uh, but as for our thoughts on it, none of us have seen any 16-year-old Argentines. I, I don't remember if that was the, the, the team that was playing last summer that qualified for it. There were a couple of... Uh, yeah, there was a river, a river striker that was really good. When, when Mariano says summer, he means last kind of yeah, January, yeah. February time. Sebastian Drusi is the one yeah. who, I think he's he going the overhead kick yeah, yeah. with a uh, uh, from the box. Right. Yeah. Okay. Phenomenal. But that was, that's the only memory that any of us have about the South American under-17 uh, qualifying. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Tom, we're going to have to essentially uh, avoid know, your question sorry. by saying we don't know. Oh, we know the coach. And I know that Pitana is going to be the ref- uh, referee of the yes World Cup. <laughs> no, I know the coach is Grandona's son. Of course, yeah, Umbertito. 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 Um, ah, I have to say, uh, now I start to remember that I didn't have any hopes for that team when they played the South American qualifiers, and they ended up winning it and playing pretty well. It was played here in Argentina, by the way. Yeah, but still, come on, the Copa America was also played in Argentina, you know how that. And the under-20 was also played in Argentina, mm. <laughs> and Argentina didn't qualify, so you have to give them some credit. They, they beat Brazil in the final, so I don't, know, I don't know how they will do, but now I remember something about it. They were okay. kind of good. Uh, James Fielden asks, having watched a sizable amount of games this season, what are Argentine fans' thoughts on the standard of refereeing in the league? Do they think they're very strict, or are all the yellow and red cards deserved? Um, and then he gives us an example. Central versus Lanús on Sunday was, in his opinion, ridiculous. There were far too many cards given. Uh, 
You're, you're both Argentine. What do you uh, think about the standard uh, of refereeing wish, in the Argentine league? I wish there was some criteria that referees used in, I mean, similar criteria. But the thing is that <laughs> things happen different from game to game. I mean, the same thing that can cause a player a red card in a game, probably in the next one he gets nothing for it. So mm. it's too difficult to say this. There's no... There's nothing similar from game to game, even if the same referee, I don't know, don't know how to answer that. Uh, Andres? I think that, for example, Delfino was a very, had a very good work on, on the Super Classic on River Boca, mm. even though that he had very like suspicious, or I think, well, Ramon Diaz was a bit like... Suspicious in River Plate, <laughs> in his eyes. Yes, he was bothered, bothered about uh, his... Uh, he was a sad. Cold, yes. Well, and one of the big things with the Super Classico was that, like, two minutes into it, uh, Federico Andrada was fouled in the penalty box, and Delfino booked him for diving. Yes. And looking uh, at it on the replays after the game, I, that was dodgy. By all accounts, Twitter was full of people saying that should have been a penalty for River. Yes, but apart from that, I think that uh, I agree with him uh, that, that there are some criteria which is not e- exact. That some referees uh, uh, gives penalties which are like, for example, you th- there is a player that grabs some other and and for some other referees that is not a penalty or they didn't give penalty. And uh, but the the, the the most the thing that happens most in football in the Argentine football is that uh, no one uh, uh, admits uh, their own mistakes and they also yeah. they always complain about the referee yeah. and, and, this, and we are saying now that Delfino had a great super classico and probably two weeks from now we will be talking about yeah. some penalty he didn't give or red card uh, if yeah. if anyone's interested in the general uh, this, uh, refereeing just full stop and refereeing standards uh, since this gives me a good chance to plug it the next issue not the current one but the next one of the blizzard um, is going to contain an interview that I did a few months ago with Horacio Elizondo who is the man who, who refereed the 2006 World Cup final the man who showed Zinedine Zidane that red card um, and he's got a lot of very interesting things to say about the difficulties that a referee has on the field of play at the exact moment that, that, that the foul happens. Um, so I, I thoroughly recommend that, and not only because by buying it you'll be putting money in my pocket. Philip Briggs asks, ahead of Tuesday's game against Uruguay, would you consider Uruguay or Brazil to be the team that Argentina loved to beat the most? I'm not going to make any comment on this because I'm English and I know what my answer would be, but... We have two Argentines here. So, Mariano, as an Argentine. Uh, it's, obviously, it's obviously Brazil. Andres? Uh, Brazil. Yeah. Was there ever an era, for instance? Explain to some of our younger listeners who don't have as much of an interest in football history, perhaps, uh, why Philip is asking about Uruguay. Well, uh, the game with Uruguay is the Rio de la Plata derby. It used to be a very big match. First yeah. ever World Cup right. final. For right, exactly. And... Probably because Uruguay used to beat Argentina regularly during those years in the 30s and 20s. But since then, Uruguay is like Argentina's little brother. Uh, Of course, they won't like (laughs) Uruguayans won't like that. But yeah, they are like Argentina's little brother in football. So one of uh, my best friends is half Colombian. Ask any Colombian about Argentina versus Uruguay being a great rivalry, and they will tell you about the 2002. 
last uh, last exactly. round of the World Cup qualifying since, since, since yeah and also since when, when Argentina and Uruguay essentially just played out a draw to ensure that Uruguay would qualify and Colombia were eliminated and it happens like it's always the last game Argentina Uruguay is always the last game of the yeah, qualifiers the matches always take place in the same order for South America and you will read about suspicions also for next Tuesday for which reason I think the, the qualifiers for 2018 they're talking about randomising the order yeah, they should. which I think they should definitely do they should because they should. Um, uh, there are too many of these there's, there's Colombia Ecuador and kind of similar rivalries elsewhere around the continent as well which are rivalries but which are perhaps they're a bit more uh, almost Eurovision style right. for the benefit if, of our British listeners if Uruguay needs some result next Tuesday I think there's a chance that it will happen uh, yeah. Michael O'Neill comes back with a third question he says the Catalan press seem convinced that Gerardo Martino has asked for Balanta for Barcelona next summer. Um, what are the chances that he'll be elsewhere by then? Uh, this is Eda Alvarez Balanta, who's been named. I'm not sure whether Mike has read different reports from me, uh, or whether he's just misread them, but the reports that I was reading earlier today on the Sport website, which is one of Barcelona's two main sports dailies, uh, were saying that Balanta could very well be off to Barcelona this, well, Argentine summer, but uh, European winter. Uh, in January from River Plate as a replacement if, if Carlos Poyol Carlos Poyol um, doesn't uh, recover from his injury uh, quickly enough I think he'd be a superb signing for Barca by the way but I think Barca in my opinion if Barca are going to sign him they need to sign him in January and and pay a little bit more perhaps for the extra because otherwise there's no way he's going to still be at River by next June let's say yeah, he's very good, has a lot of potential. Uh, it's too difficult to say if he's, he, he's good enough for Barcelona. So but the, the key yeah, thing, I think, I think is. is that apparently, by all accounts, in terms of interviews that he's given and so on, he was a number 10 when he first arrived in River's youth team when he was 16 years old. He played as a number 10 as a playmaker, and it's since he, he was moved back to a number 5. He, he and then they realised that actually he knew how to defend, and they moved right. him back to centre back. And that really shows in his game. I mean, when, when he's playing, even on Sunday it, against Boca, it was the second Super Classico he played. It was it was enormously high pressure. When he stepped out of defence with the ball and started playing in midfield, he knows how to move yes, forward. And yes. I think for that reason, he would fit in superbly, not just in a Barcelona side, but in particularly Gerardo Martino's Barcelona side, where Gerardo Martino's sides throughout his managerial career have shown a willingness to u- utilise a, a playmaker almost operating from very, very deep on the pitch. Uh, more vertical, more direct, let's say, than, yeah. than, than Barca's previous side, but also with, with, with players who know how to step out from, from defence into and the field, River, but can defend yeah. as well. And River wants a lot of money for him, and I, I guess well, Barcelona... Wants a lot of money by Argentine standards. Yeah. Barcelona can come for Barcelona is not <laughs> I think there's a very high chance that we're going to see Balanta playing in January. Ramon Diaz has been promised that Balanta's going to be with, with with River until the end of the torneo inicial. He's not been promised anything above that. Uh, Philip Briggs says, going into the World Cup finals, would Sabella rather be seen as co-favourites or dark horses? Dark horses, surely, right? Finals, yeah, of course. Who doesn't love that? That's what happened with Messi on the team. When was the last team that a team who were favourite to win the World Cup actually ended up winning the World Cup? I, c- I can't remember. Uh, and finally, Miguel Villegas has a final one. Is Ricardo Caruso Lombardi the Harry Redknapp of Argentina without the televised street fights on Redknapp's side? Um, yes, in many ways. I think he is. Think so? he, he's the, the manager that everyone loves to hate, basically. But Harry has been failing a lot lately, right? 
and Caruso. And Caruso. Now, come on. He saved San Lorenzo a year ago. Caruso won in three matches now. This is yeah, okay. Surely. But, uh, what happened to the title challenge? <laughs> oh, come on. We all knew that wasn't going to happen. I say this with a smile on my face. Um, I think in many ways he is. He's certainly, if you're an English um, observer of the Argentine League, then definitely those two characters uh, strike me as very familiar and, and similar to, to one another. Right. Next thing you hear is Mystic Sam's theme music. goes Mystic Sam's uh, predictions for the coming weekend. First match on Saturday afternoon. All boys are going to beat Colón. Argentinos away to Atletico Rafaela is going to be a draw. Belgrano versus Quilmes should be a Belgrano win. Arsenal de Sarandí against San Lorenzo. Second versus third, or rather third versus second on goal difference. I'm going for a draw. Vélez Sarsfield versus Olimpo. Got to be a Vélez win. Estudiantes versus Racing. Honestly, do I really need to tell you what's going to happen there? <laughs> Boca versus Rosario Central, Boca win. Newells versus River Plate, purely because Maxi Rodriguez is missing for Newells and has been crucial for Newells' attack recently. I'm going to go for a draw. Tigre versus Gimnasia, draw. Lanús versus Godoy Cruz, I think Lanús are going to win. That's also very, very tight, but Lanús have a far better attack. And that's it. It's a really really tricky uh, route to predict this one because there are a whole bunch of matches that look too obvious right no think, not, not really too obvious Arsenal San Lorenzo is very oh, well, tight okay, there are a few uh, Lanús Godoy Cruz for instance is, is they've both got very similar records and essentially I've gone for Lanús to win that because Lanús have scored far more uh, goals I'm going for a draw then um, but both defences are very tight so a yeah, draw wouldn't surprise me Lanús has too many injuries and suspension yeah. Are there any fixtures, well. guys? I'm, I'm going to bring the fixtures up on screen. There, any of those that particularly interest you that you're particularly going to be wanting to avoid over the weekend as well? All boys call on. Let's face it, it's probably not going to be a yeah, threat at the yeah, very first. No, not interesting at, at all. Um, uh, I think they're okay. Vélez Olimpo, maybe it's not that interesting either. Um, but apart from that, I mean, okay, Stiniantes de Racing is is we basically know what's going to happen in that one. Um, we think so, yeah. Well, the man, uh, yeah, yeah, the Argentine league, the way that it's gone over the last decade, suggests that that's probably going to be a racing win. <laughs> but by and large, yeah. really, you know that Estudiantes are going to win that, and if they don't, it will be an, an absolute disaster. Right. Um, but I think there are an almost disproportionate number of matches at this point in the season which look fascinating. This, this coming weekend, you've got second versus third in Arsenal San Lorenzo. Newell's River should be a very interesting yeah. game. Lanús Godoy Cruz is going to be very And Rosario Central and Newell's have the derby next week. Yes, exactly. Yes. So it's, it's, they have to be prepared for you, that. You've got Central and Newell's playing River and Boca as well. Right. So there's that. There's Arsenal San Lorenzo, which although we've mentioned already is second versus third, is also a huge clash in styles because Arsenal have basically got where they are by right. not conceding any mm-hmm. and San Lorenzo have got it by having a very strong attack right. but not conceding any lately no sure no they're not goals conceding many but mostly they've got it by scoring yeah. Patty. Andres sorry you want to say no, I think that this round will define a lot of, lot of things because yeah. uh, I think I insist on Arsenal San Lorenzo not because of the match itself but because of the position of both, team, both teams mm. if, because if news 
uh, wins against River and they uh, they draw. Uh, if Boca doesn't win also, that will be. Uh, I I don't know if News will have a secure uh, win of the tournament because there will be still eight. Uh, Rounds to go, but, but it will put them into a commanding position. Yes, especially having already played Boca and won. Yeah, but they still have to play against San Lorenzo. Yes, they still have to play against uh, Arsenal. They have the derby next week away. Yeah. So uh, it's still open, but I think there are four teams that one of these four teams will win the, the championship. It's so we're talking it's the four teams: Newell's, Newell's, Arsenal, San Lorenzo, and, and Boca. And yes, Boca. mathematically, it's and only those. For me, well. Not for me. I think that we, you will agree with me. Maxi Rodriguez is the, at least for me, the man of the of the of the torneo final. Uh, if if the mean, torneo final ended after ten matches, yes. Maxi has to be the player. And the torneo initial too. Sorry, yeah, the torneo final was Nacho Scocco. Yeah, but I think it's one of those four teams. I mean, behind those you have Gimnasia, Atletico Rafaela. They don't have enough to win the championship. And then you have Vélez, Lanús and River, they will be focused in Copa Sudamericana. And to have a chance to win the championship, they need to win like seven or eight of the last nine rounds. Yeah. And that won't happen. Which, given their form so far, just isn't going to happen. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for having the patience to listen. This has been a bumper episode, and I don't think there's too much that I'm going to be able to cut. Thank you very much indeed to Mariano for making it along for the first time in a while. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to have you back on. And thank you enormously to Andres for hosting for the first time pleasure and uh, thank you for me for, for listening dear, dear listeners goodbye for now